You're listening to an Influicity podcast. You're tuned in to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. Welcome to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. And today I've invited on a very special guest. He's a Hollywood filmmaker, producer, director, and actor who has stepped into the gin game by launching his brand, Artingstall's Gin. He's the man behind movies such as Bridesmaids, TV shows such as Freaks and Geeks, and you may even recognize him on Sabrina the Teenage Witch as the biology teacher. Paul Feig, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for joining me today, Paul. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Um, So let's get right into it. Tell me, how does a boy from Michigan end up in Hollywood? <laughs> I know it, it seems impossible. I have to pinch myself sometimes too. Um, you know what? It was I. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. I was living in Michigan. I was doing TV commercials for my dad's store that I was writing, directing, star, and they were not good, but I did them. <laughs> but I just always knew I wanted to be in showbiz, and it was right after my uh, freshman year of college. I just kind of went. I got to try it. I didn't know what to do. But my father knew a guy in California who was a manager. He used to manage. Um, there was an t- old TV show in the 1970s that was on for like two weeks and then got canceled called Pink Lady and Jeff. And it was the comedian Jeff Altman and then these uh, two Japanese uh, women who were famous in Japan called Pink Lady. And so for some reason, my dad knew this guy from college who managed Pink Lady. <laughs> And so we contacted her, him, I should say, and I said, I want to get into showbiz. What do I do? And he basically just sent me a copy of Variety. But back then, Variety, every week they would have one page that had all the contacts of the studios listed. So like the student names of the studios and then their phone number for their main office. So I just called around to all the studios from Michigan and went, do you need actors? <laughs> and they were like, no, of course, you know, of course not. We need accountants or whatever. But then the last one I called was Universal Studios. And they said, we need tour guides. And we're going to do the, the meetings for tour guide to get into tour guide school in two days. So if you can get here in two days, you can do that. And so I was just taking my last exam, my last final exam of the year. And so got my next door neighbor and did my last exam. We jumped in my car. We drove 48 hours straight to get to California, got here just in time to take the the test and passed it. And so then I became a tour guide and then I kind of never left. And how old were you? Uh, I was 17 years old at the time. So, uh, yes, underaged and (laughs) running out on my own to California. But but my parents were very supportive. They knew I wanted to do this. They kind of figured, why not? Let's give them a shot. You know, and then when I was out as a tour guide, I discovered, I found out about uh, uh, USC Film School. And so then I applied there. I went back for my sophomore year to Michigan just to finish up. And then I got the film, got accepted. And so then I came back and I've never left, uh, never left LA since. Did you ever act or how did you go from being a tour guide straight into producing and directing? No, I acted. I, I, um, I, I when I... In Michigan, when I was 15 years old, I started doing stand-up comedy. Again, not very good, but I had the, the, the moxie to do it. And so when I got out to California, yeah, I, I kind of did everything in thinking I was going to use it all to be an actor. 
I wanted to write and direct and star in my own movies. So I went, oh, if I go to film school, I'll learn how to be on camera and I'll learn how to do that. And then I, you know, and I also wanted to get, become a stand-up. So I started doing the, the comedy clubs here. But then I had quite a successful acting career as like a, you know, character actors, like the sixth or seventh lead on a TV show. So I was a regular on five different TV shows, but they all got canceled after the first year. But then I was finally a, a regular on a TV show called uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And so that became a big hit. And so I thought I was set for at least seven or eight years, but then they ended up writing my character out at the end of the first year. And so when that happened, that was the, the moment when I said, you know what, I, I've always wanted to be behind the camera and they've been working towards it. So I said, I'm just going to, you know, let's forget acting and let's just go behind the camera. So just put all my energy in that. I used to love Sabrina the Teenage Witch growing up. I have to go back and watch it to see if I can spot you there. Yes. First season, Mr. Poole. I was Mr. Poole, the biology teacher. <laughs> So that led you to an amazing resume. You've produced and directed countless projects, Freaks and Geeks, Mad Men, Bridesmaids, Spy, Simple Favor, and honestly, that's just a few of them. But what made you take that leap? I think most people would say from going um, in front of the screen to behind the screen, the stakes are really high. How'd you manage that? Yeah, I mean, I've always been very, very driven, very ambitious. And I had, fortunately, growing up, my mother, I was an only child, so my mom was very supportive of me. And anytime I kind of wanted to do something, she really encouraged. So, like, I wanted to be a tap dancer. Okay, then suddenly I'm in tap dancing lessons. I want to play guitar, so I'm in guitar lessons, you know. And she would drive me all over the place to whatever lessons and all that. So very, very supportive. My father wanted me to take over his sporting goods army surplus store. But at the same time, he was very much into the idea of, be your own boss. That was a very important thing to him. He didn't ever want me to work for anybody. He didn't want to work for anybody. And so when he saw the writing on the wall that I didn't have any inclination to kind of take over his store, he was, you know, he was very sad about that because I was the only heir to the throne. But at the same time, in keeping up with what he had taught me, he said, look, I want you to be happy. I want you to do what you want to do. But it was just that sort of driven ambition with a healthy dose of, of naivete, you know, basically of, of going like, sure, why couldn't I, you know, and if I didn't have that, I always say like, now I know so much that if I knew what I know back then, I, I don't know if I would have done it or if I would have had just sort of that, you know, brazen thing that we all have when we're starting out, we're ambitious, you know? And so that's what kind of, I mean, to come out here and be, become an actor, become a stand-up comedian, but then it allowed me to have the, what, I, I don't even know if I call it bravery, just sort of the <laughs> ambition to go, now I'm going to go behind the camera. The ironic thing was that when I decided to make the switch that year after I made that decision was the worst year of my career, and I would dare say worst year of my life, because I made this, I made, taken all my money from Sabrina, made a movie, a low, low budget movie that I wrote, directed, and starred in. And I spent a year trying to get it into film festivals, try to sell it. I really bankrupted, you know, Lori and I, my wife, because I took the money that I thought I was going to make on the second season of Sabrina and put it all into this movie. And then I didn't have a job. So it was really bad. But then out of that, it just drove me. I was always writing to write the pilot for Freaks and Geeks. And so once that sold, then I was on the trajectory that I'm on now. A pivotal moment, uh, definitely. 
It also makes me think that there was a lot of lessons in that moment and in those beginning steps when you made those missteps. But did that also help you understand what your talents and your strengths are? Well, I mean, it's a great question. It It's kind of retroactive because um, now I realize more than I did when I just said, I just got to make this change, that I use every single skill that I've picked up along the way in my life in this one job of being a director producer, because I literally use my acting skills <laughs> because I have to be able to get through these meetings and talk with these executives and talk with the people in charge. And, you know, it's not Machiavellian, but at the same time, it is a performance, you know, when you are going in because you're convincing them that you are worthy of them putting millions and millions of dollars into a project. So you have to have that. And then just the skill set of being able, having been an actor and knowing all these things to be able to talk to actors, be able to get them through things, to be able to create a safe environment, know what they're going through, to know their insecurities and how, how to counteract those and to make them their strongest. And then just, you know, anything business-wise, anything talent-wise, you know, I, I always, when I talk to anybody wanting to get in the business, I say, learn anything you can. Any weird skill, you know, if you're into clog dancing, like at some point you will use it somewhere, you know, it, you know, for me as a director, it's like, okay, we got this thing or it's an idea as a writer, but, oh, here's a weird thing we can put in. So I, I just think it's, it's, it's just, you find the career that allows you to be the most fulfilled because you're using every drop of your intellect and your experience. So has the last 40 ish years been how you imagined it? It's been ups and downs. It's been crazy. Um, you know, is a is a kid and a teenager. Here's the thing: I always set weird goals for myself that were almost kind of unattainable. Like I remember when I was a teen, a young teen, I remember just saying, "I'm going to be famous by the time I'm 19 years old." That is my goal, and it was a weird kind of yeah. I know it was crazy because also I was in Michigan, so how was that ever going to happen? But I think by setting these goals that I've always done. It's just allowed me to to blast further than I might have if I just was kind of going like, let's see what's next. Let's see what's next. And I, I really think that's important. I, one of the most important things I learned uh, was when I was in film school, we had a friend, Larry, and he was in film school with us. And he was a total goofball. We all made fun of him all the time. He was just kind of one of those guys. And his, his whole thing was like, I'm going to work for Steven Spielberg. When I get out of here, I'm going to work for Steven Spielberg. And we're all like, yeah, sure, Larry, whatever. I mean, this is when Spielberg was the king of Hollywood. So Larry graduated and immediately got a job working for Steven Spielberg. And that was the moment I said, like, wow, if you are laser focused on something and you know what you want, you got a much better chance of making it happen versus kind of like, well, I'm just going to kind of find out. There's nothing wrong with kind of not knowing what you're going to do. but if you can laser in on it, it doesn't mean what you wanted is going to be the perfect thing, but it means you're going to attain it and then you're going to be able to branch from there and find out from there. And you're going to get a confidence in yourself of going like, okay, I, I had this goal and I made it happen. I, I totally get that competitiveness. And I think that a lot of successful people are, it just keeps you going. Um, so I really do believe, even from hearing your story, you are the consummate entrepreneur because you're always reinventing yourself with the next project. Your newest project is Art Install Gin. So 
talk to me about why you wanted to have your own gin. Yeah, I um, I am a cocktail fanatic, uh, but I'm a cocktail lifestyle fanatic. Um, I just, have, when I was a kid, <laughs> if I go back to the origin of this, it's very, very, it goes way back. I was probably about six years old, five or six, and uh, <laughs> drinking gin. No, when um, I was in, uh, my parents took me to Las Vegas because they were going to go see a Muhammad Ali fight. And so we were staying at uh, the Dunes or the Sands, one of those old hotels. And so they were that night. They were taking me to to the nursery to put me in the nursery. And so we're walking around the outer edge of the casino. This is back in the you know the late sixties when there was still glamour going on in in Vegas. And as a kid, I was looking and seeing all these men in tuxedos and suits and women in gowns and beautiful dresses and everybody's dressed up in formal wear down on the, on the floor, you know, the, the casino floor, and they're drinking cocktails and they're smoking and all this stuff. And then they put me in the nursery, which was a big glass door that looked out at this scene. And I remember just staying that entire night just with my face pressed up against that glass watching these adults having this cocktail culture time and just planted in my head, I don't want to be a kid. I want to be an adult. And when I'm an adult, I'm going to do all the stuff that they're doing. You know, and so I, I, le I left the smoking out because I can't smoke, <laughs> fortunately. But I became, as soon as I was of age, I got very into the world of cocktails and cocktail culture, if you will. So, you know, started studying all of it. And, you know, I've had a bad experience with gin, as I think a lot of people do when they're a kid, where, you know, you sneak down to somebody's parents' you know, basement bar and you, that's the first bottle you open. And it's like, oh, and it tastes like pine salt. And you're like, what? You, know, you think it's, it's terrible because you have a kid's palate. So I got into martinis because I think martinis to me represent cocktail culture in its finest. It's just the most beautiful class and it's just classy and there's something wonderful. You know, you used to watch Darren Stevens on a Bewitched come home and mix a martini after, after work. And it's like, that seems adult. So I wanted to get into them, but I read very early that a real martini is a gin martini. It's not vodka. A vodka martini is a vodka martini, but a martini is gin. So I remember thinking, I've got to learn to like gin. So I was in London. This was 25, at least, probably 30 years ago, actually, at the Savoy and went to the bar and said, like, I want a martini. And they, okay. You know, and so they made me this thing. It comes in this, came in this like thistle glass, beautiful it wasn't even a martini shaped glass, but, and it was frozen and it had this big twist sticking out the top and it was ice, like ice cold. And I was like, okay, here we go. I don't know if I like gin. And I had that and I was like, oh my God, I love it because it was the proper context. It was a proper serving of it. And it just felt so adult and so cool. And I just immediately was like, this is my jam. I just fell in love with gin. <laughs> and so spent years and years kind of still grappling with that heavy duty juniper thing you know and it, 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 i i grew to love it but i didn't it wasn't my favorite <laughs> you know and so i always so i started everywhere i went having different gins and would find ones that were more savory and weren't as juniper forward and you know and some you know you go like in spain and they're very savory actually with you know like herbs in them versus botanicals and um and so it just as i was going through all that I remember thinking, like, if I could just create my own gin, I know I could get the exact taste that I'm looking for, you know, which is not too juniper. It's a little citrus, but it's not too much of anything. Um, and, and it's all in balance. So, you know, I, I, for at least 10 years, 
probably more was really on a quest of like, I want to have my own gin. I would talk to my agents about it and every, and they would just say like, it's impossible because you have to be a famous, you know, musician or actor or something. But I said, just keep staying on it. And then, you know, three years ago, it all happened. We met. They came to me and said, we found somebody who wants to. And I was like, oh my God. And I'm so, I mean, well, I'm going to gush in a second. I never heard that story before um, in all the times that we've met. And, you know, that look of the bottle that you chose and that we collaborated on, it's definitely you. It's very timeless. It's classy. But how did you come up with the name Arting Stalls? It's definitely a mouthful, um, but it's memorable and very British. And well, I guess it is a London-style London gin, so I guess that's fitting. But what's the significance behind the name Arting Stalls? Yeah, it was, um, you know, at first when I was going to have my own, you know, when we made the, the the deal to do it, which is so exciting, and I'm going to gush once we're done with this, um, uh, that I was like, for everybody's first of all, we're well, gonna name it after yourself, right? It's like Figs. I go, that's the worst name for a product. Like nobody knows how to pronounce my name. It looks weird on a bottle. But I also was hung up on wanting to create a London dry. We always knew we wanted to do that. But that had I wanted something that felt like it had been around for 150 years, basically. I wanted to somehow have people go, like, oh, is that some old thing? You know? And so my mom's maiden name was Arting Stone. And she would my her side of the family is British. So I it was it was a toss-up because it was that or or her mother's maiden name was Whitehead. But then I was like, Whitehead, I don't that's something weird about that. I like that. So I said going arting stalls, but I would rehearsed it a bunch of times, like, you know, oh bartender, kind of an arting stalls martini. And I just sort of felt like, oh, that actually kind of rolls off the tongue. It's one of those I like brands where where you first see the name, you're kind of like, what is that? But then it settles into your mouth, okay? And so that, that was really what, what it was. So how would you describe the taste of the gin? It's, I, it's a very friendly gin. <laughs> uh, it's, it's very classy and classic. It's not too ginny, but it's ginny enough for a gin lover to like. Um, it, it's a very friendly, <laughs> I said that already. I, I, it's a very round taste. I, I'm trying to, cause I like that we have hints of, of, of citrus in there. I like we hit, have hints of the pepper in there and that kind of thing. But I never like to describe it in those terms because I think people hear citrus and they go, oh, okay. So it's, you know, it's absolute citrus. It's like, no, it's not, it's none of these things. It's all these things of perfect balance. You know, there's a floral element to it. There's a lot of things going on in it. So I just really look at it as being a very smooth, friendly London dry gin that you that a gin lover will love and that somebody who thinks they don't love gin will love and it's also a very effective uh vodka substitute in cocktails and I've I've taken so many cocktails that are vodka based cocktails and made them with arting stalls and 90% of them do much as well or even better because of the lightness of our our taste that just brings an extra element to the drinks. So when you were developing and doing all the tastings, and definitely there were many, um, with us and all of our teams to come up with the final product, what surprised you the most about the process? Can you compare it to uh, your industry? Well, I was fascinated by it. I mean, first of all, it does compare very much to my industry because we developed it the same way that you develop a movie, which is you have the idea for it, 
And then you kind of have the big overarching pieces of the story. And then eventually you work your way down to the minutia of the dialogue and the words and the thoughts and the emotions and all that. And so it was the same exact same thing with this. You know, the first time we met it, it, over at Minhas in in, um, in Wisconsin, or I mean, not even before that, actually, just on a phone call. I can't remember. It was just like, what what do you want out of this gin? What gins do you like? What gins do you not like? And so it was a long, long talk about here's what I want out of it. Here's the ones that I like, but here's what I don't like about the ones that I like. Here's the ones that I just don't like, but that have too much of this and that. And so from that, they were really like detectives and took all this stuff I downloaded to them and went off and made eight variations based on what we talked about. And that was the first tasting we had, I believe, in, in uh, well, when I was in Wisconsin with you guys. And um and it was fascinating because, you know, very clearly you'd go like, okay, that one's not right. That one's not right. There's something in this I like. There's something in this I like. And it was that. It was really just like, take a bit of this, a bit of this, a bit of that. And so then they went off and did that several more times. And what the thing that I was most fascinated about was when we were in our second to last tasting, there was one, and I was like, I think, I think this is right, but something's wrong. And I think it's too much of this and too much of this, too much of this. And Ravinder was very, very, he was like, he said, I think it's just the alcohol content is too, is wrong. I said, no, that can't be it. Because I think there's a, there's a taste I'm tasting here. And I think you got to pull back on this. He said like, okay, I'm hearing all this stuff you're saying, we're going to do these other things, but I want to take this exact recipe. I'm going to do it with 2% less. I was like, in my head, I was like, whatever. Okay. That's not going to (laughs) work. And of course, when he came back, that was the one that was perfect, and and what I could not get over. And here, I've got I've got two of the original. Here's here's the one that was at forty four percent. Here's the one that was at forty percent, and he said it's going to be the one that's forty two. So I had this one. I go like, oh yeah, it's too forward. There's too much alcohol. It's too much. Got too much bite. And the forty percent went like, oh, it's all botanical. I don't like it. And then here's the forty two. It's like it's perfect. <laughs> so. I, that blows my mind every time the 2% alcohol content can make that make a difference. Right. Yeah. The, the, the details that go into finished product. Um, definitely. I think a lot of people, you know, uh, because it's alcohol and you're enjoying it. So all those details and time and energy that go into making it sure is surprising to many people who've never been um, behind the scenes in the process. Well, Ravinder can tell the story too. I've never been as drunk as I was the day I had to, I had to finalize this recipe <laughs> because it was terrifying because we, again, we had it down to those eight micro variations. And I, you know, again, it's like, I'm going to be stuck with this for the rest of my life. You know, if I get this wrong, it's, that's it. And so just, I mean, just tasting, but like eight different, like, da, 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 da. and you know, that's just like a drop here, drop there, but you do it, you know, 40, 50 times. It just adds up. And then once you go like, I think this is it. It's like, okay, let's try the martini, but a dirty martini. Let's try a, you know, a citrus martini. Let's try it in a Negroni. Let's try. And yeah, there's a, I know Ravinder was, went out to dinner with, with uh, somebody from my team to get a steak. That was how he repaired. And I was just literally five o'clock face down on my desk. Uh, completely fast. <laughs> <laughs> he's a professional like us and he's much bigger than the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> he's tailor-made, tailor-built for this business. <laughs> he's tailor-made to be the <laughs> professional gin taster, definitely. 
And so a lot of people, whether it's Art Installs Gins or your movie launches um, right now, have really been hit hard by the pandemic. And everything was has been brought to a standstill or um, they're reinventing their products um, or themselves. So in April, I know you were planning on doing a massive North America wide tour, especially a road tour in Canada um, across almost every province. So uh, that got changed, of course, because we all went into lockdown in March and April. Um, and well, you haven't been able to travel since. So uh, I imagine the same thing happened to your movie projects. So how has the pandemic affected you? And how have you pivoted and adjusted to the new normal? Yeah, I mean, you know, it affected me the way it does everybody else. I'm lucky that we, you know, we have made some nice money. So it wasn't, it didn't become a financial thing that so many people are getting hit by. Uh, and we're also very lucky. We've got a nice house here in LA. So we were able to hold up that way. Um, but at the same time, you know, I was, when I, I was in the middle of a project that we had to shut down. Um, so that kind of ended. And then I came back here and I remember thinking, okay, well, I'm going to be, sitting around the house for months, potentially. I got a lot of writing work I could do because I'm lucky that way. I, you know, I've got projects. But remember, I wanted to do something for 100 days in a row, um, this quarantine cocktail show on Instagram. Uh, and it was just, it, may, it gave me something to do and it made me feel like I was doing some tiny part to just try to get, help people get through the this, you know, it was really terrifying in the beginning. I mean, it's still terrifying, but it was then it was, we just had no idea. We didn't even know the science of it. And so it, it felt like I got to do something. So I was very happy to do that. And that really helped give me this whole new appreciation for cocktails that I always collected old cocktail recipe books, but never made a lot of them. And so I go like, oh, let's make it, try a different one every day. So, you know, hundred plus days of just making a new cocktail. I learned so much and I got to pass, hopefully pass some of that information along to people. And so it was, it was really good and it, it kept my spirits up through it. And now we're getting ready to go back. I mean, in two weeks, I'm going to go to North Carolina to finish that show that we were working on. We had to pull the plug because we just got an order for it from, from the network. So that's very, very exciting. But I, you know, I, I, if it was a month ago, I would not have been ready to leave the nest. But now I just feel like, okay, I, I think now, you know, it, it's time to venture out safely, obviously. I mean, you know, now we know, even though some people will not agree with this, that wearing masks and social distancing and doing all the stuff you're supposed to do, you could actually, you're, you're, you know, you got a pretty good chance of getting, you know, having not a normal life, but you know, to be out in the world. So, you know. I, it's time now to give it a try. That quarantine cocktail you've been doing has definitely cheered us up. My girls are so excited at five o'clock, right before we have dinner, asking, is Paul on? Is Paul on? And it really was one of those things that when I was watching, I thought to myself, this looks like a lot of fun, but wow, does this look like a lot of work. Um, just to put it all together and decide what you're going to make and what charity you're going to support and get all the ingredients. Um, but it did seem like a lot of fun. Um, and I and it seemed like it was a great bonding experience between you and your beautiful <laughs> wife. Um, so how did you guys decide what you were going to make? 
Um, and I really did love that it was authentic and you guys were tasting them um, a lot of the times for the first time on air. And, you know, sometimes they were good and tasty and delicious and refreshing. And sometimes we could tell you from Lori's face, especially that she didn't really love it. <laughs> yeah, she is very honest that, that she's been my guiding light my career because like if I here's a script and like oh, I, I hate this it's like okay you know it's very honest but but also has a very populist taste I feel like she is in tune with a lot of people and what they like so no we I mean I always kind of we made it our dynamic that like I'm just going to pick these drinks and let's just see if you like them or not and there's some I knew that she wasn't going to like and some that I was like, I don't know if she's going to like this. Some that I was sure that she, she was not going to like that she ended up really liking and then vice versa, <laughs> you know? So, but it, what was great about it, it really allowed me to figure out what, what goes into cocktail making and why it's in there. You know, like, like the thing I, I, I think the biggest thing I learned is that when you put fresh lime juice or lemon juice into something, it just softens everything. So you can have like a, all these ingredients you go like, how are these ever going to, you know, live together? And then you get let like a half teaspoon of lemon in there, a half a jigger of lemon. And suddenly it just, it evens it all out. And so it's been really fun because now I've been inventing a lot of cocktails and, you know, I had this sort of like poor man's crash course in sort of how things mix together. I mean, I, I know your distillers would be just horrified by my lack of knowledge, <laughs> But as a layman, I feel like, okay, I'm not bad. But, you know, it really, you know, I, one of the greatest things, look, Lori and I just celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary. But we've always been all over the place because I'm, you know, I'm working constantly out of town on these movies. She'll come sometimes when she's busy. So you never know going into like seven months together at home how it's going to go. And we just found out how much we love each other even more because we just have so much fun together and never got tired of being being together all that time. Well, that's fantastic. And well, hey, at least if this movie thing doesn't work out, you've already got a career in bartending. <laughs> ah, you know what? I could enjoy it. I could really. I, I have so much fun making drinks for people. I get, it's, it's almost, it's almost I, I get so excited when people come over. They're kind of like, all right, enough. Because I'm like, I can make you anything. What do you want? So um, this is um, a question that... I don't love myself, but I like to ask. <laughs> um, what do you wish that you knew early on in your career that you know now? It's it de it depends. I it, like when I was an actor. The one thing I wish I knew was how how little what the minutia I did meant in getting a job. Um, you know, because I would go to these auditions and like you know, everything memorized and then you'd be doing your lines and you'd like stumble over a word and then you're on the way home. You're like, Oh my God, I blew it. And I stumbled over that word. Oh my God. I, everything was great until that moment. And now, you know, when I hire people, I've, I've hired people that can barely get through the script, <laughs> but you just go like, Oh, there's something really interesting about that person. I like their personality or there's, they got a great look or they just something kind of a funny energy about them. And so that's for acting of going like, just, you know what, just be yourself. But it, it does translate into everything that I've had success with is you just got to be yourself. You have to find your own voice and you spend so much time early on trying to copy other voices or trying to take the landscape of like, oh, this works and that works. So I need to be this and that. I need to do that. I need to combine those things. 
And it's really the moments when you just go like, you know what, this is me and or this is a unique take I have on something. And that's what resonates. It's you're bringing something to the world the world doesn't have. The world doesn't need more of what it already has in general. You know, there's use, there's always somebody who started doing that who's much better at it than you are because that's their voice, that's their skill set. And so even though you're going to try to do that, if you bring your original voice into that, you know, there's only so many, what, I think that they say there's only like really seven stories in the whole world that we just do variations on them, you know, and it is true, but it's, it's execution. It's how you tell it, it's how you, what you bring to it and the surprise you bring to it so that, you know, look, there's plenty of things we've seen in entertainment where you're like, all right, so predictable. I know what's going to happen. Because that's sometimes just people, you know, regenerating things they've seen before versus you could take that story and suddenly go like, oh, wait, instead of the hero doing this, what would I do? And you go, I'd actually do this. And then if you do something that's just true to you that nobody else would do, that's when the audience goes like, oh, wow, this is really cool. I didn't expect that to happen. You know, so I guess the it's a very long answer to say, I think, find your own voice and nurture your own voice and have the confidence to use your own voice. I think that's great. I, I agree. So what's next for Paul? <laughs> a lot of stuff. Uh, off to North Carolina to, to get this new TV series going uh, called This Country that's going to be on Fox next year. Uh, very funny half-hour comedy based on a BBC show of the same name that we've done an adaptation of. Uh, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist and Love Life will be back for second seasons um, next year. Um, we're already shooting Zoe right now up in Vancouver. Um, then I'm off to London uh, in December to make a giant movie for um, Netflix uh, called The School for Good and Evil based on a series of, uh, of books. And uh, I'm very excited about that. So I'm, I'm very busy. And then obviously getting art installs for the world. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. This conversation has been so inf- insightful and great. Oh man, gee, please. And then I said I, I was wanted to gush. So could you, if you would give me a minute, minute to gush. I... I am so in, first of all, you're one of my absolute heroes. I just think everything you do is so amazing and you're just so inspiring. And you and Ravinder and this company you put together, Ninhas, is so great. It's family owned. It's everything that a, a big liquor and brewery is not supposed to be. You know, it's always, because I was always, when I wanted to make my own gin, it's like, oh, there's these big corporations, you can't, blah, 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 blah. And so when I, found you guys and you wanted to do it and you turned out to be this amazing brother and sister family owned uh, entrepreneurs who are so talented and just so lovely to work with i mean i cannot tell you what a gift this has been to my life you've made so many dreams of mine come true the two of you and and it's just i i can never i truly can never thank you enough it's just been an absolute honor and i'm so excited to keep going forward it was new for us too, because everything that we've done up until this point over the last 20 years has been just my brother and I and with our teams. So venturing out and partnering with somebody else was definitely a big step for us too. And it's been very exciting for us. Um, and we've really, really enjoyed it um, because you know we do say no a lot more than we say yes. And so it really is exciting when something works out when you do say yes. And not only has it been a lot of fun and learning from our end. Um, But we really have enjoyed our new friendship, which I think is really important um, in this day and age too. And while, um, as you've discovered, the alcohol industry is definitely a fun place to be innovative. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, thank you, Minji. It's been an absolute pleasure. I was, I was so looking forward to this, and it was as fun as I thought, and 10 times more. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Manjeet Minhas podcast. Make sure to follow and subscribe to hear more episodes like this one. Take care and we'll see you next week.